In February 2021, vaccination uptake amongst over 80s in Birmingham's most populous ward, Allen Rock, was 59%. In contrast, eight miles away in Sutton Mere Green, the uptake was 95%. As highlighted by local MP Liam Byrne, the stark contrast in vaccine uptake reveals, quote, a story of two cities, if not two nations. As a local resident, the disparities, although concerning, were not incredibly surprising. A closer look at the demographics of these wards may provide an answer. In Alan Rock, for instance, 90% of residents identify as Bain, Black, Asian and minority ethnic. Looking at the data for the rest of the city, a pattern starts to emerge. The data also reveals that the five wards with the lowest vaccine uptake also have a high Bain population. In the next half hour, I explore the factors contributing to vaccine hesitancy in minority groups, interviewing several people on this topic, ranging from local council representatives to academic researchers. Last year, during the height of the pandemic, we saw the disproportionate impact COVID had on black and ethnic minority populations. Research found that ethnic minority groups are almost three times as likely to contract COVID-19 and five times more likely to experience serious health outcomes. Despite this vulnerability, vaccine levels of ethnic minority groups are still lagging behind. A central issue contributing to the hesitancy has been trust, or the lack of it, as Dr Morgan, a reader in toxicology and clinical biochemistry at the University of East London explains. It's really important that trust is a key issue. Um, If someone's going to start a campaign um, about vaccines, you want to get people to uh, to take the vaccine. They they need to be trusted simply because of what vaccines are. And I always explain this to people because it's really important that um, that being apprehensive about taking a vaccine for anyone is a normal default position, not just for people described as black, Asian, minority, ethnic, or racial groups. That people are just not keen on taking vaccines, and that's because vaccines are biological medicines when you think about them, and and they're normally related. That's how, how they work. They're related to the specific pathogen. Um, and, and then you're giving it by injection. So here you are, you're giving something that re- is related to a pathogen that's killing people or could injure people, um, but you're saying, inject me with something that's related to that. And it's normally given to people who are healthy um, to prevent them from becoming sick or infected. So vaccines generally are a hard sell, a hard thing to do. The novelty of a new vaccine can make the public wary and dissuade certain people from taking a vaccine. However, despite this general hesitancy, ethnic minority groups display higher levels of distrust and are less likely to take the vaccine compared to the general population. One factor influencing this distrust is structural racism. Structural racism refers to a set of systems embedded in societies such as institutional practices, public policies, cultural representations and other norms that reinforce and perpetuate racial inequities. For instance, in the UK, black women are five times more likely to die during pregnancy than white women and black people have a greater risk of detention under the Mental Health Act than white people, even when socioeconomic status is accounted for. The COVID-19 pandemic, similarly, has reproduced ethnic differences in mortality rates, with black and South Asian men being 4.2 times and 3.6 times as likely to die from COVID-19 compared to their white counterparts. In terms of vaccine hesitancy, structural racism has a similar impact. Dr Razai, an academic clinical fellow in primary care at the St George's, University of London, explains how structural racism impacts on vaccine uptake in ethnic minority communities. We know from ethnic disparities in health that ethnic minorities have worse health outcomes in almost all health parameters. And that as uh, that is due to the um, upstream structural factors, including structural racism. There is a wealth of evidence. There are several decades of peer-reviewed 
biomedical research and also various other disciplines, epidemiology and uh, sociology, that we know that uh, upstream factors as the causes of the causes of the causes are very, very important in shaping the uh, the end outcome, in, in this case, the disproportionate effects of COVID-19, but also in health-seeking behavior, including people's responses to uh, vaccination program and vaccination um, uptake. So that is a very important uh, factor that we know uh, racism, structural racism is a powerful driving factor and also the way it shapes other social determinants of health, including where people live, grow, age, and also uh, the um, effects on, um, as we know, the social determinants of health and socioeconomic status and uh, residential segregation. One fundamental aspect of healthcare treatment is personal experience and ensuring patients have a positive experience of care. Many BME patients feel that their encounters with healthcare authorities is not positive. A report conducted by the Department of Health found that BME patients were less likely to give positive responses about their experience with NHS than their white counterpart. Subsequently, these negative experiences can lead to self-discrimination, where patients choose not to engage with healthcare treatment. Dr. Rizal discusses self-discrimination and its impact on patients. It's also self-reported discrimination and we know from research that it can lead to instant disease such as diabetes, hypertension and uh, visceral fat increase, obesity. It can affect mental health. It can cause sleep disorders and it can also have what is called the effects of internalized racism and a negative self view, which can lead to a host of other psychological and uh, physical health problems. A patient's approach towards vaccines and healthcare authorities is also influenced by historical events. Previous unethical healthcare practices, particularly in the United States on minority populations, can hamper efforts to vaccinate ethnic minority groups. The Tuskegee Syphilis Experiment, a 40-year study run by the United States Public Health Service conducted on African-American patients to observe the effects of untreated syphilis, is an infamous example of unethical healthcare research on black populations and a painful reminder of the powerful impact that racism has on healthcare practices. In the study, the African-American patients were not told they had contracted syphilis. They were not given any treatment to treat the disease, even though by 1947, penicillin had become the standard treatment for syphilis, and in some cases, they were actively denied treatment. Understanding this historical element in the context of an individual's personal experience with the healthcare system it's clear to see why ethnic minority individuals adopt a cautious approach with regards to vaccines. The thing about historical examples, and they normally focus on, if you like, um, primarily black people and slavery, and, and I think a lot of the stuff that came from America, but historical things are not well documented or understood uh, by the general um, population, even in those communities. There's only a lot of people who understand the history and that kind of thing. Um, but, um, and one of the ironies of this is that despite the people who understand the medical um, racism, the history of it properly, those groups of people are actually taking the vaccine because they understand and they actually know that um, this vaccine rollout isn't really anything to do with that. But sadly, there are many other groups of people who hear about the, the negative stories, the history, and they and and that and again they were nervous anyway because they had their own experience of medical um, 
racism. So you've got the historical thing, and they haven't quite got it in context, but they're, they live the experience, which sort of tells them that there could be something wrong. And, and so they're, they're, it makes them really reluctant. Dr. Rizal explains how socioeconomic factors provide a partial explanation to the high rates of COVID that's seen in ethnic minority groups. We know from research since last year that uh, poverty is a huge factor. If you're poor, uh, you're more likely to uh, get COVID and uh, lead to hospitalization and intensive care admission and also eventually death. So that is an important factor. But ethnicity has an independent factor uh, as uh, effect as well on uh, not just in the number of cases, hospitalization, intensive care admission and death, because as you said, these things intersect. We know that in England, for example, the um, only about 8% of white British population live in the 10% of the poorest parts of England. But that figure rises to up to 30, 40% uh, in other some ethnic minority groups, such as uh, British, Pakistani and Bangladeshi heritage, and is higher also amongst Black and Black Caribbean. So we know that uh, poverty and socioeconomic factors are adversely distributed along ethnicity. But we also know that poverty on its own, which is, by the way, as a result of structural factors, including structural racism. Also, the other factors, it intersects with other factors uh, such as uh, people's uh, occupational risk. That's a very important factor. And uh, multi-generational households, uh, people live in uh, crowded accommodation. They are more likely to have higher burden of uh, comorbidities and health conditions that are very highly make them susceptible to COVID-19. So all these factors combined with people's socioeconomic status would have a much higher, um, would lead to a much higher rate of uh, hospitalization and mortality uh, in we've, we've seen in COVID-19. One other factor to consider is the accessibility of vaccines for patients. The location of vaccination centres, the vaccination schedule times and other factors related to accessibility can significantly impact on a patient's likelihood of taking the vaccine. As Dr. Rezai mentioned, residential segregation, which is a physical separation of groups into separate residential neighbourhoods, can affect access to vaccination centres as well as access to healthcare resources and information, perpetuating the cycle of mistrust. Dr. Varney discussed the challenges of vaccine accessibility in Birmingham. It's a very basic thing of they they either don't know how to book it, can't navigate the internet because it's not that straightforward if you're not particularly digitally literate. Um, and a lot of people from um, marginalised communities and from some ethnic communities, we know digital literacy is not as good. So, you know, that, that that's the first barrier. And and. The other option of ringing 119, where you can be sat on 119 for like three hours waiting to get through. So, you know, and that uses credit. So, again, there's, there's, it, it, you know, it's the affordability as well as the accessibility. So, the first of all, is can you get an appointment? Second one is, is the appointment somewhere that's easy to get to? So, um, you know, many of our more ethnically diverse 
uh, areas are also areas which have lowest car ownership. So actually telling them to drive to Millennium Point or Edgebaston Cricket Ground, you know, if you're in Alum Rock, that that's like space. It's like a different, you know, it is a different conceptual space. And most of us live within a relatively small geographical area um, and most of our lives. And that's based around where we live and where we work. And occasionally, if we've got children, where we go to school. And those three circles are where most of our life is, is based. Um, so if you don't create vaccination spaces in those three circles, you're asking people to do something which is an extra effort, an extra journey. During this pandemic, we have seen how vital communication is to encourage people to follow health guidelines and to keep our community safe. Equally, the vaccination programme requires governments and other authorities to deliver effective public health messages. In the case of certain communities, having targeted campaigns that resonate with individuals in those communities can drive up vaccination uptake. Here is Dr Morgan discussing messaging as a factor influencing vaccination levels in ethnic minority groups. First of all, it's the messaging, what the messaging say, but it's also who is saying it. Um, because um, sometimes, as I said, the, even when you're, you've got a brilliant message, it's not getting to the, because people don't listen to those. I mean, how many, you know, not everyone in every community watched the BBC, for example. And so they'd miss some of those messaging. And even if they do watch the BBC, the people who are, in terms of the messaging itself, uh, they don't identify with them and they're not really listening to them and their language things, all kinds of things. So messaging is really important in who delivers the message. The low vaccination uptake amongst ethnic minority communities suggests that there is a pervasive distrust towards healthcare authorities and government. Restoring trust between communities and maintaining this trust is critical in this vaccination drive and in future health emergencies. An immediate solution to this problem is to engage with and empower local community leaders who are pivotal in securing their community's trust. Ensuring community organisers have the necessary tools to combat online misinformation and distrust is central to reducing vaccine hesitancy. Dr Varney explains the steps taken by Birmingham City Council to support communities with high levels of vaccine hesitancy. We've uh, worked to support the NHS around vaccine communication and engagement. Um, we've done that in a couple of ways. So we have uh, about eight, 800 COVID community champions programme we launched back in the summer last year um, to really address the issue that communities were saying that the information still wasn't getting into them it was you know it was all very well sticking on billboards and the digital eye at the grand central at the station but that didn't get across to people who were sat in kitchens in small heath um you know and what they wanted was something that put more information into the hands of people to share with their social networks and their their personal networks so that's why we built the, the COVID Champions program. Um, we brief them weekly. Um, we now have a WhatsApp group which disseminates information. They get um, data packs. We run training sessions. So when the vaccination program developed, we ran a three-part training program for them. Um, so the champions had um, training on what is a vaccine, how are vaccines developed, and then the COVID vaccine and specific bits about the COVID vaccine. Like community leaders, general practitioners often have positive relations with their local community 
and their healthcare background often means they are essential to outreach work to combat vaccine hesitancy. Research conducted in 2018 by the National GP Patient Survey found that 96% of people in England and Wales had confidence and trust in their local GP. Dr. Rezai explains why patients, in particular BME patients, are more trusting of their local GPs, but often distrusting of the wider healthcare authority. Most patients know their GPs for a very long time. We know that longitudinal relationship-based care is a powerful effect uh, in terms of health-seeking behaviour and also engagement with public health messages and engagement with with care um, in general. One other solution concerns representation. Having healthcare workers who are from similar backgrounds to patients not only has a positive impact on their patient health, but also has a positive impact on their health-seeking behaviour. Dr. Azai. The solutions increasing healthcare uh, professionals' representation, because as I said, racial concordance is a, a powerful positive effect uh, in improving health outcomes for ethnic minorities. So th- those things are important and then it will take a long time. We need to also ensure that any kind of uh, uh, discrimination that exists, the unconscious biases and uh, systemic problems within the progression of ethnic minorities through the career, throughout their career, in terms of whether there are exams, whether there are assessments, in terms of promotions and also leadership positions, because. There is uh, evidence that uh, leadership has an important um, effect, positive effect, that if ethnic minorities are proportionally represented in leadership positions, they will likely to take uh, measures to have a positive effect overall. So we need to increase ethnic minority representation in leadership positions, and also we need to make sure that in the long term, the socioeconomic factors are addressed because over the last decade, as the Marmot Review clearly shows, health inequality has worsened. We know life expectancy has stalled and the amount of time people spend in ill health and disability, uh, these factors have been, have increased. So we, we need to reverse the effects of uh, Um, economic austerity, which had a a negative effect on ethnic minorities in particular. So, and and also try to mitigate those effects and have policies to improve the socioeconomic states of ethnic minorities and also address the effect of residential segregation. We know residential segregation is increasing in the UK and across Europe. Uh, It it is a very, very um, harmful um, form of systemic racism which must be addressed. In terms of accessibility, opening up vaccination sites at the heart of a local community, such as using places of worship, ensures that vaccines are convenient and accessible to everyone. One important thing to note is that the trust built up during the pandemic between communities and authorities is just the beginning, and more effort is needed to improve relations. Here is Dr Morgan. There has been some improvement, but it, it's only a start. I think it's a starting point. Suddenly communities that were in, are invisible uh, have become visible because with, with a, an infectious disease like um, something like COVID, you can't just, and, and where people live in a city like London, for example, you can't vaccinate one group of people and leave other unvaccinated. It just doesn't work. You have to vaccinate everyone. So it's forced a lot of people in certain positions to 
including directors of public health, to look at all the community in a way that they didn't and not allow any groups to um, go under the radar or just not be, they, they couldn't allow anyone to be ignored. So it hopefully it will change practice. And also, I suppose, it, as I said, it will make people more visible. Dr. Rezaic says that solutions implemented to improve vaccine uptake amongst ethnic minority groups and fundamentally to reduce health inequalities could possibly take a long time. Uh, most of these are not going to be overnight solutions. We need to address systemic problems through systemic solutions and also uh, most organisational change and across society, the cultural issues, the way people think and behave. It takes a long time to, to address these things. As we continue to recover from the pandemic, we should be mindful that the trust built between marginalised groups and authorities is fragile. Building on these marginal gains via effective communication and adopting a sensitive attitude towards community concerns are crucial. Once the changes are implemented and communities feel supported, vaccination uptake is likely to rise. In the future, this vaccination coalition, compromised of community organisers and healthcare leaders, can be utilised helping to address other health and social inequalities. The COVID-19 pandemic has exposed our interconnectedness and our dependency on each other. The vaccination programme and the initial struggle in working with predominantly ethnic communities reminds us all that to solve collective problems, we must prioritise and engage with those who are most marginalised. I hope you enjoyed this discussion on vaccine hesitancy in ethnic minority communities. And I would like to thank Dr. Varney, Dr. Morgan and Dr. Rosai for their contribution to this important topic.